Short and sweet. That's what she said. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck. And alongside me on this somewhat odd episode that we'll get to in just a minute is uh, Chris Figs, graciously allowing me to uh, record on a day other than our normal day. Chris, <coughs> let's let these people know that your night started off with a big win. It did, yes. We did win uh, two out of the three games in our bowling league today. So, all right, everybody, well. round round of applause for Chris. Yeah. All right. Yeah, big MVP. So Chris is good with balls. Uh, good with moving balls. on to the next point that we need to get across before we get started <clears> on the <throat> show. Uh, this is going to be a very odd episode. So since we're recording in a very different time than usual, Chris and I both have work in the morning. Uh, we opted to go for an episode, but really something that feels a lot more like a half episode than normal. We're going to try and pack a tight hour uh, out of this show. But it's not so with that in mind, myself this week. It is not you by yourself. With that in mind, there are a few very important things we're going to say. First and foremost, if you listened to last week's Velvet's Corner, you will know that I am supposed to be wearing lipstick. But because I did not opt to just wear lipstick around my house, I have opted to move that to the next full-length episode (laughs) where we will also be doing the next Velvet's Corner. So, Velvet, if you're here and you're listening, we will be doing your Velvet's Corner. But this week, I think it's going to be hard to keep our time crunches, and I would really hate to run into impacts for Chris and I, you know, in relation to our jobs. <laughs> yeah. So instead, we're going to focus on news, which is not a ton of, but we'll talk a little bit above. We have some, of course, communities take, which is not too complicated. Just looking at the roadmaps for the year, a little bit of stuff going on in the gaming news, like I said, and then we're going to do a few questions. Um, we're going to try and keep this as close to an hour as we reasonably can while still giving you what we hope you consider to be a good episode. So without further ado, let's get going on that. Chris, what, have you been playing this week because i will get mine out of the way very easily i was out of town for about three days mm-hmm. and Yu-Gi-Oh night was before that so four of the last seven days i have not played games really at all My so God. i played lies of p the three games that i the three days i was you know i was gaming <laughs> made good progress today still a great game <sighs> uh, i love how weird the story is in terms of it's just the the souls born version of You'll figure the story out by just exploring the world, picking up on weird things that characters say, and having very vague sentences said toward you while you're given yeah, weird goals. Yeah. It works. So I'm yeah. still enjoying the game, but uh, you know, there's a game on the horizon. Um, thankfully, not another horizon <laughs> no. <laughs> from from PlayStation Studios uh, that we'll be playing and talking about soon. So go ahead, sir. What you been playing? Um, I've had a decent smorgasbord of things. I've played. Uh, <clears throat> Let's see, I'll just lift them off. Trepang Squared. Played some of that. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage. I've played some of that. Baldur's Gate 3. I finally cleared one of the fights in Act 2. There's a lot of fights. I'm very close to the end of Act 2. Um, I spent about 3-4 hours with the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 beta. And then my big game of the week has been Honkai Star Rail. <laughs> Which has been wild, because I thought that I would see you play just the hell out of AC Mirage this week. Yeah. And while you have played some, uh-huh, I have I have noticed that you've been on Honkai Star Rail like, 
left and right. Before we get into Hong Kong Star Wars, I do want to ask yes. you, I know that when you first downloaded the Modern Warfare 3 beta, you were expressing some displeasure with how the game is in comparison to what you were expecting. Yeah. Have you kind of warmed up to it at all, or do you think that the beta has gotten you to change your opinion on where you are with this game? I, I don't know. I have a sense that I'll end up buying it, but honestly, my biggest pull to Modern Warfare 3 is I want to see where the story goes, which is a weird conversation to have around Call of Duty, but I really like the story they're telling in the Modern Warfare series. Um, and you they're know, just. I didn't think. Go ahead. Different dev this year, right? Yes, Treyarch. In the Sledge? Or is it Treyarch? Just Treyarch. I believe. Now, now I'm not confident. I thought, I thought Treyarch did the last one that they took over from Raven and Sledge, and this was going back to Sledge. I am curious, though, because that means Maybe that this right. is the first game in this series that's not going to be an Infinity Ward project, right? Yes. Yeah. Because they did. It was Modern Warfare, and then I think Black Ops 4. Or. Uh, and then Black Ops the Cold War? Cold War was in there. Vanguard, that was it. So it was Modern Warfare 1, Cold War, Vanguard, Modern Warfare 2. Now we're in Modern Warfare 3. They're just they're like, skip it. Modern Warfare 2 was so successful, we need to immediately follow it up. Well, honestly, yeah. I think if they're smart, they would just stick with a series of Call of Duties, do them 1, 2, 3, and then move on. Because like, I'm someone who likes these Call of Duty campaigns. Like, I, I remember being like, what happens to the ghosts at the end of Call of Duty Ghosts? One of the most derided Call of Duty games, because I like those stories. Um, oh, dude, so yeah. I'm with you. Because it wouldn't, you know, and I get that sometimes you have to pivot, so it doesn't really matter. But the thing is, is that even if Advanced Warfare, uh, or rather uh, Infinite Warfare, would have been a success, the typical way that they go about doing Call of Duty games would have mean that if they had decided to make another, I still wouldn't <clears throat> see anything about the resolution for three years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, you know, I mean, that's, is that really the end of the world? Because Assassin's Creed has shown, I think, that there's probably a pretty safe way to bounce between playstyles to help keep franchise fatigue at a better pace and also serve different legs of a, of a franchise while inherently also serving the, the middle group that likes both sides. Because a lot of Call of Duty players just like Call of Duty every year, regardless of what it is. Then you have people that are more like, well, I like this game's gunplay and how they choose to do online and if there's classes or non-classes and you have of course the fact that the big online call of duty now is just um warzone yeah. warzone 2 i suppose uh and then lastly you just have the people who want the story like you so how do you think that kind of plays out to their decision making well i don't know but i think we were close to the perfect call of duty setup this year until activision got cold feet because Modern Warfare 3 was originally supposed to be a DLC. And the way they were talking about it, at least according to Jason Schreier, and he's reliable, so take him for what he, he says. He, he was talking He'll block about you how, in a heartbeat, but he's reliable. Oh, 100%. I'm actually proud that I'm still not blocked by him on this Dude, account. yeah, I can't believe. <laughs> I thought I'd sneeze and he'd be like, blocked? <laughs> yeah. Him and, I think Jez Corden has blocked me already, but that's okay. Um what was I saying? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Call of Duty. yeah. The perfect Call of Duty is just they. If it was a DLC, it's, it's basically a sixty dollars map pack and a story. Because they've even started like what I have downloaded is just Call of Duty, but it has uh, Modern Warfare three in there, Modern Warfare two's in there, 
Um, I know all the Modern Warfares are in there, and you can launch Cold War Vanguard all through this one platform. So they're just turning Call of Duty into a platform. So I almost wish they would stick with, hey, we're going to do five Modern Warfares, and it's just one, two, three, four, five. Every year, put them in that the platform and move on. Because that's basically what they're doing. I don't need another box, you know? Yeah, I think well, that it's kind of like... Point. It sounds right. Like what you're talking about sounds like what Assassin's Creed pitched with their uh, what was it? AC oh, Nexus or the whatever Jade it was called, or something like that. Oh no, what was it actually called? It wasn't called Nexus, AC Portal, something like that. Where it was going to be like this hub, Assassin's yeah, I th- Creed. I think that's Assassin's Creed Jade. Uh, well, apparently uh, Jade was going to be one of the games within it. Um, but let me, let me, I can remember the name. I just talked about it with a friend the other day because he, he didn't know what I was talking about. Hold on. Um, if it's not called the, uh, if it's not just called Infinity, the Animus, how is it not called, called Animus? I know. And then that's what he was talking about, <laughs> that it would make the most sense for it to look like an Animus and you're just going off of a prong of someone's memories yeah. and you're just labeling it something, but it's called Assassin's Creed infinity. And it's what they announced back in like 21. And they, that was when they announced and Maybe it was 22, but uh, it was when they announced the hex, which was going to be the Salem witch trials entry. Oh, they announced so <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, they, they announced, uh, what was it? Uh, code red, which I think was supposed yeah, to be the the, Japanese one. Yeah. The samurai. And then I think Assassin's Jade Creed. is supposed to be a mobile one, but that's still apparently going to tie into, something i I can't remember but i know that that was kind of the idea right it's supposed to be like a hub where assassin's creed is a platform and all these games are really just you'll boot assassin's creed infinity in this case and then all of these games will just be prongs that you go and launch into within that and and you know it's a good question like what is the benefit of that and I'm not sure that I know the answer as much as I've seen some people talk about it, but I can see little reasons. Like maybe it's easier if you have a hub and everything is designed with this hub in mind, maybe mm. save saves can be transferred between games and it can pick up what you have and haven't played it and give you exclusive content. If you've played one or exclusive choices, if you played another, um, cause my friend the other day, uh, I don't know. Did you get very far in um, Odyssey? Yeah, I beat Odyssey. I thought so, uh, but just making sure I wasn't wrong on which one you did beat. Uh, he didn't beat Odyssey, but he was talking about Odyssey has this thing where it tries to give you the, the illusion of choice, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really change anything no matter what you choose. And plenty of games do that. Now that that's a problem, but I thought w- that was before we started talking about Infinity. I said, maybe Infinity is a good way to do that. Bring actual choice in. Though... The wrinkle in that is that Assassin's Creed is supposed to be you're just reliving memories, so you shouldn't be able to change anything. (laughs) Right. History is just history. But, you you know... Do you kiss Da Vinci or do you let him paint you? Like, something ridiculous. (laughs) Well, you know, and the game's kind of like, you know, because you could have, like, I remember I made Cassandra bang an old lady. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I guess I can can do it, so I'll do it, but... Smash. It is pretty interesting to see... um, but yeah, you know, um, you, you've played Mirage. One thing he was saying that what he's played of Mirage is like they reference the Animus and talk about it and stuff, but really it's more like you're doing what some people have wanted Assassin's Creed to become, where you're just essentially playing a timepiece game. Mm-hmm. That while you have the knowledge that it's happening because of the Animus, the game isn't trying to constantly bounce back and forth between modern day and past. You know, it's. No, it's, it, it never made sense once they. 
spoilers for Assassin's Creed 3. Killed Desmond? Five. There you go. <laughs> Once they killed Desmond, it's like, why did you even continue doing the modern day stuff? Because I was reading, I guess, about that. the original pitch was Assassin's Creed. It was supposed to be a trilogy of Assassin's Creed games, and the third game was supposed to be modern day, where you play as Desmond. And they killed it so they could have a forever game. But what I'm confused about is, A, it culminates in the modern day, and then someone sneaks away with an animus, and there you go, you have your forever game. And then you can just tell me stories like that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I, I'm with you. I, I've I've heard that idea, and what in in a weird way, it's kind of what they did, but they also refused to stop trying to include the modern day stuff in it. Right? Yeah, you know, I think it would have been a lot more poignant just to say, <clears throat> yeah, like it's understood throughout all of these that these are just animus stories and people reliving history from important people within these factions, you know, timelines, but. I, I told, you know, we were talking to my buddy. I was like, I think it's, you get into this weird loop where people's expectations are a modern day story. And so you feel like you have to serve that, but you can't serve that well enough to really justify it. And so you get into this thing where it's like, you'd have been better off not doing it, but we understood you swung and tried, but I just genuinely don't believe there's spot. enough people who care about the modern day that they would be upset if you dropped it completely. I don't think now they would. And, and I think, honestly, now that they've made so many modern-day storylines that most people seem to be, like, putting up with at the very mo- at the most, they're yeah. like, fine. I think you could stop it at this point, and no one would. Literally, no one would just have the menu be the Animus, and then when you press New Game, it goes Animus, initializing, and then it never happens again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they need to do. You know, I'm surprised they've not tried finding a way to bring Desmond back by now. I'm sure it'll be like, oh, he locked himself in a tomb for the rest of time to protect a book which had a a note card that had a latitude and longitude of an apple of Eden or something ridiculous. See, this is what they're going to do. They're going to remake Assassin's Creed 1 like has been rumored, but they're going to slightly change the end where the Apple of Eden resolves in a different way. And then they're going to retcon the story where Desmond was able to use the Apple of Eden to change time or whatever. (laughs) So he didn't actually die. He just blinked into a different existence for a bit and he comes back. Hold on, you're missing a big opportunity. What if the (laughs) reveal at the end of Assassin's Creed You got to back off that mic, big homie. You were hot. If anyone is curious, my mic has been exploded for about a week. And that will be fixed. Yes, we're acquiring me a new mic, but this one, I bumped the wire and it just exploded the podcast. Ah, that's okay, Chris, because guess what? We're far enough in that I think we're going to have to start swinging towards looking at Community's Take, where we ask our listeners... To chime in on something that we talked about either in the last episode or a question that we pose at the end of every episode. And last week's came from none other than Chris himself, where he asked you guys to chime in with your gaming roadmap for the rest of this year. So what games are you going to be playing? And we got a number of answers, brought out some people from the woodworks we hadn't heard from in a while. So Raj 88 one of our longtime listeners and patrons, he says Spider-Man 2. And spoiler alert, this is a PlayStation podcast with PlayStation fans. Pretty much everyone said Spider-Man yeah. 2. Can, uh, so. can I quick make a plea to Sony if they're Go listening? Ahead. If I pre-order a deluxe... <laughs> oh, sorry. 
Don't want to get copyright struck. <laughs> um, if I pre-order a collector's edition directly from PlayStation that comes with a digital code for the game I am buying, Just why don't I have your collection? Why? Yeah, why don't I have the the the, the code right now? Why, why am I even printing the paper? Why am I going to have to wait until th- th- Saturday to play Spider Man? I'm with you. I've been gonna, saying this since they switched to the moment that they started including disc, uh, the the steel books, but taking the disc out. I was like, don't even print the paper. Like, if you're going to give me a steel book, fucking fine. But at least give me the benefit of saying you bought it from us. We can prove it. You bought it on your Sony account. All we do is just say here's the here's the collector's edition version of the game. Yeah, why add wouldn't it to your that, library? You can preload it. You can do everything. Right. That's yeah. the thing because I could be playing Spider Man tomorrow night. Yeah. But now I'm going to have to wait until maybe 10 o'clock on Friday because send me the fucking code. <laughs> Just send me the code. Yeah. yeah. All right, Sony, you've heard. Genuinely, that is a very good complaint that I don't know how they have not managed to to do yet. I also, mention, mine hasn't even shipped yet. <laughs> Ooh. It's when? still in the prepare for shipping. Like, I, got the, I got hit with that double wham, whambo, right, where uh, I got the – Hey, we've shipped your thing. And then uh, equally at the same time, the app I use for my bank being like, hey, there was a large purchase detected on your card. (laughs) I told my wife, I was like, it was like getting good news and bad news all together. (laughs) It was like, yay, Spider-Man, no money. (laughs) So it was a good time. Uh, but we got B-Raj88 here. He says, uh, after Spider-Man 2, it's a toss-up between RoboCop and Cyberpunk as my main games. So I'll most likely pick up Modern Warfare 3 as well for the multiplayer zombies gaming with friends. Why did I, for some reason, think that RoboCop got pushed? I don't know. It's in- Or did it get pushed but still stayed in this year? Either way, RoboCop looks good. It has uh, something about the way they're choosing to go about it. It has some... Chronicles of Riddick, Assault on Dark Athena, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay vibes, and kind of mixed with Cyberpunk. Those are good vibes. They are good vibes. Great vibes. So I hope that game's actually good, but you never know until it's in your hands, as they say. Uh, Cyberpunk's good, though. I got to find a way to get back to it as well. Chris, you ever play any more Cyberpunk since you're kind of. I haven't played much more, but I do so enjoy it. So great. All right. Well, we got the Lord Corgi coming out of the woodworks as well. Uh, congratulations on that new kid, buddy. Uh, another one of our patrons. He says Spider-Man 2, of course. And then hopefully I can get either Immortals of Avium, Lies of P, or Lords of the Fallen if time allows. And uh, yeah, as happens with newborn kids around gaming is as time allows that's just kind of how it becomes so not too bad uh but good choice of games right there lords of the fallen's looking pretty good but i have it, it is interesting it looks like one of those games where s- someone in the design element seemed to have just enough of an idea like if we have one really cool mechanic everything else that may not be as good as people were expecting will be overlooked in favor of like well at least look how cool this is i won't speak too strongly i haven't played it but it looks good. So, a lot of Soulsborns this time around. We've got Stingray X, longtime listener. He says, last main game for the remainder of the year is Spider-Man 2. After that, it's catching up on the backlog from the year, mainly PSVR 2 titles, of which there are many, many. Which comes to a thing that we'll talk to a little bit in the questions. Um, we got two more, though, Chris. We got 
uh, Josh Ayers, long time, long time listener, literally since the early, early days. Spider-Man 2 and the Bluey game are all I have on pre-order for the rest of the year. My man, Bluey. He says, I want to get a Final Fantasy VII remake playthrough in before Rebirth and I'm working on Persona 4 Golden Plat. So, Chris, that should make your uh, your jollies jingle right there. Oh, Even yeah. though 5 is your game, I know. 5 uh, is where my you game. At on, where are you at on 4? You willing to play it one of these days? Or have you, I mean, you've played it, but have you yeah, actually it. beaten it? And I've never be fully beaten it, but I have played it. It's great. I'm not, um, I'm never, I'm probably never going to play it though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last one we have is a pretty interesting list um, from Jehudi MD, another one of our patrons. He says, currently Half Life, great game. And then Half Life Opposing Force, Half Life Blue Shift, Half Life 2, Half Life 2 Episode 1. Half-Life 2, Episode 2. So basically, he's going to spend the rest of the year uh, playing Half-Life. Great series. And the foundation of some of my favorite games of all time, both in the Half-Life series and away from it, like Portal. (laughs) So I have a question, and I guess a confession. I've never played a Half-Life game. Oh, dude. Yeah, never. Continue with your confessions. (laughs) I've never heard you sound so dejected. (laughs) I'm so sad for you because I'm going to be on Half-Life 1 is a good game. It's a lot harder to play on modern systems, which is why people are doing the Black Mesa remake on PC yeah. to kind of help with that. Uh, still a monumental you know, landmark in gaming. But Half-Life 2 is fairly easy to get access to. It's in the orange box, which is not the most expensive, also not the cheapest thing that you can get on PS3. Or you can just play all these on PC. You have a more than capable PC. I do. Um, and Half-Life 2 is a killer game mm. and so are both the episodes even though my confession i actually never got to finish episode two because i was excuse me of half-life two because i was borrowing it from a friend with their orange box at the time and i bought the orange box later and never got back around to it i should have but half-life two so good i i it's, it's surprising to me chris because you seemed really like impressed with half-life alex and I guess that was strictly off what you saw from the game itself, which is, I guess, an even bigger testament. Like, you know that Half-Life is a big gaming series. Yeah, because I mean, everyone doesn't shut the fuck up about it. Right, exactly. But I've <laughs> never, I think, I don't even know if I want to say I've never played it, but I've never finished them. Like, I've played the Orange Box, but I was mostly playing Portal and Team mm-hmm. Fortress. So it was never, I'm never into Half-Life. Yeah, it's but, weird because it's like a lot of the stuff that's in Portal is in Half-Life 2. Like you can really see how similar the uh, the Valve engine, you know. T-W-O is. or T-O-O? Oh, T-W-O. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can see where the Source engine really looks very similar to Portal and Portal 2. Yeah. Uh, and you can see where a lot of the design philosophy comes from around the way that the camera and how you interact with stuff, how physics interact with the game, how you choose to like pick up and interact with items. And I think a lot of that managed to make its way to Alex, and I think a lot of people were very happy about that. But it's also just an interesting world. It's actually got an interesting story. It was one of those early games that really was doing something thoughtful in a time mm-hmm. period where game stories weren't <clears> expected <throat> to be much more. Uh, one of these days, you gotta you gotta remedy that. I've been oh. honestly, I can't believe that Valve haven't been like, yeah, we're gonna remake these games. Like we're well, getting they, remakes of Max Payne one and two, and we haven't gotten a remake of Half Life. Or you guys Half-Life are gonna be 2. so sick. I hope the pre order bonus is the Max Payne three remake. 
even a remaster at this point would actually be kind of cool. Yeah, the game's still it, pretty in all honesty. Give it to Grove Street Games and give it to me for free. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that paying way, much. I complain, I'm not you go, paying hey, much. I, you didn't pay yeah, for it. Exactly. What are you talking about? Well, fair enough. So fair my, enough. my my dumb question is why are we waiting so long for Half Life Three if there's six of them? Well, Chris, it's kind of like how, do you remember how there was like a really long wait between Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed 3? I do, yeah. It's kind of like that. Okay. They decided that they're not done with Half-Life 2. They want to do more Half-Life 2. Okay. <laughs> and they're not done with Half-Life, but they don't want to do Half-Life 2 yet, so they so do a couple like of other ones. Final Fantasy, where it's like 10-2? Sort of. And it doesn't yeah. really... Okay. Sort of. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, look, it's a big, cool world, but it is interesting the way they choose to expand into it. Though a lot of Half-Life content and a lot of the way they approach it and a lot of the games that have stemmed off of Half-Life were all based off people just doing really weird mods. So it's almost like Half-Life is in and of itself a platform. So it's the original (laughs) Bethesda game? (laughs) Well, you've been able to do this with Bethesda for a while, but it's not too far off. Yeah, Yeah. they're probably neck and neck on being very open and friendly for people doing whatever the hell they Mm -hmm. want to within it, you know? Fair. Here's the thing. When when Gordon Freeman comes to Fortnite, Mm. Half-Life 3 is nigh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... That's like the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. It's yeah, like, it's the fourth horseman. And it's just Half-Life 2 or Half-Life 3 descending from the clouds with Gabe <laughs> Newell with his long white beard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brett, do you want to know what else is nay? <gasps> what else is nigh? The news. Hey, first piece of news here is probably the biggest thing we're going to talk about if we're being honest. So uh, in what is hopefully the last time that we have to discuss the topic that has kept us focused, frustrated and annoyed for 18 months, Activision is officially a part of Microsoft. Now, the official statement from the Xbox Series S maker notably included some groveling to PlayStation and Switch players, indicating that this deal does not preclude you from being able to enjoy your favorite franchises no matter where you play. We've heard this before. Uh, This deal finally going through will allow us to finally go back to discussing when Grand Theft Auto 6 will be announced because, of course, that's got to be around the corner. The Bloodborne (laughs) PC PS5 port, or as Chris likes to say, Bloodborne 2, or if industry analyst Pierce Harding rolls is to be believed, a Sony acquisition in reaction to the closing of said Activision deal. He told GamesIndustry.biz he expects Sony to react He said, quote, Sony surely is under pressure to react. Even after their Bungie acquisition, I expect further investments and acquisitions for PlayStation, including a large one that would move the needle for them in a meaningful way, end quote. It appears that most analysts would expect that an acquisition wouldn't be an industry-leading publisher like Take-Two, according to Carol Severin of Media Research. As is always the case with these things, it is incredibly unlikely that a potential acquisition will leak. So take the next Sony is buying from software and Konami rumor with a grain of salt until Sony says so or leaks a JPEG on their own, welcoming them into the family Resident (laughs) Evil 7 style. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Welcome to the family. I hope. Okay. Sony PR. Look at me. If you do ever buy Capcom. Chris, back off of your mic. Good, sir. You are yelling. I'm I'm, I'm passionate. It's not my fault. The mic is broken. But look, yeah, but look at your no- look at your wavelengths, Chris. 
Sony PR, you understand my passion. If you do buy Capcom, <laughs> you must. That welcome to the family tweet has to be all the studios on the different bakers. And then <laughs> Capcom just, you know, put the hand of Ethan Winters just says Capcom on it. That would be, that's all we need here. 100%. Like you would have to do this. You know how like, and someone's probably going to be mad that I say this, but I'd say the exact same thing if Sony did this. Mm-hmm. The really, and maybe it's because I'm just getting older. The super fucking cringy Activision uh, trailer where all the Xbox people were like looking up and they had like cuts from games being like, "So this is home now." Yes. <laughs> it's and then like it, it felt like in the background they were trying to do like a what was that early Cloverfield where like you don't see the monster for 99% of the movie <laughs> and it's just, spiral. but you can tell people are looking at it. <laughs> like, you can't, you, you see like crash and Coco, like looking up at the sky and like, Oh, and chief turning around to look. And it's all supposed to be like this merger. You, you can clear what you can tell what they're going for. It's but just yes. Makarov cla- crashing a plane. <laughs> a what much, I'm going to be honest, a much better and shorter and simpler one would just be for every time. I, once they buy Capcom, do a welcome to the family son and then smack the studio over the head with a shovel or smack one of their famous characters over the head with a shovel. <laughs> it's um, Mega Man just getting beaten to death by Jensen. And then every <laughs> single time that you acquire something afterwards, you just use that. That would be it. You just, they go to announce that they're acquiring some random podunk studio and they go welcome to the family son quack (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 really nice also when are we getting like xbox's smash bros because like at this point they own enough shit that there's no reason they shouldn't right they gotta earn that man i know that they've said that so that's not me being you know a negative nancy about the deal i don't care how the characters look together or anything like that but I, I won't speak. I mean, clearly, it's 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 just it was very poignantly said. Uh, Sean Layden, of course, took to Twitter when someone was talking about uh, moving along with the. Now that they've been acquired, the challenge is actually integrating, and he took to say, "Acquiring is the easy part. The hard part is integrating, and right. uh, that exactly. is very much the truth." So it's going to be an interesting thing to see how easily they can integrate Activision into Xbox's system, how they work, how they go about determining the quality of their games. We already saw one failure of that, for being honest, with Redfall. Uh, Phil Spencer even really basically said that himself while being as careful with his PR wording as he could. But the yeah. reality is, is that merging companies and then suddenly being responsible for a lot of games that you maybe didn't green light, but you're at le- you're still ultimately on the hook for is complicated. You're on the hook for previous actions that happened before you, and you're on the hook for making sure that a- those actions, both public and private from consumers and employees are dealt with. And just because everyone's saying like, Oh great, Bobby Kodak's gone. Maybe that is great. But in reality, a lot of stuff has to change and it's on Xbox to do so. And if I'm being honest, going back to the piece of news, the thing that may keep Sony from wanting to do something at this size is how difficult it truly will be to integrate these things into PlayStation Studios. Because the one thing Sony has pretty consistently had is a really tight hand on managing their studios and managing their projects, both from internal and external. 
when you ramp that up tenfold and all of these studios now have the expectation of being PlayStation quality games, there's a lot of complicated stuff that goes into it before you even bring any of the existing drama that happened at those companies in with you. Yeah. I just think, I think that's would be the difference here is (laughs) I don't, I think we're at a point where PlayStation quality is not what they're going to be expecting from like if Maybe. they were to buy Capcom, they're not going to be like, oh, <clears throat> you know. Actually, I would say like Sega is a better example. They're not going to be like, oh, well, the next Yakuza is an over-the-shoulder action game, and Ichiban has a kid. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to do that. I think they're going to leave Yakuza alone, where it's an eight to an eight point five. They're fun games, niche audiences, but we're not going to be like, hey, by the way, four K sixty. I want to see the sweat drip off Ichiban's balls. You know, I but don't the think scrutiny the will still be there. I think is what it comes down to. But the scrutiny is from fanboys who the reality right. does not matter. You know, I yeah. think as long as it's still bad PR, though, right? Outside looking in, you don't want anyone looking at your products and seeing a bunch of people online, whether it be good or bad or reasonable or not. You don't. Well, I say good or bad, but whether it's whether it's reasonable or unreasonable complaints, you ultimately don't want anyone seeing complaints if you can avoid well, it. Well, yeah, but, sure. But uh, the devil's advocate, right? If mm-hmm. If spiders made Starfield, are people upset as an eighty-three? No, no, not not to the same degree. And that's yeah. what I'm that's what I'm saying. I maybe, don't think it's because maybe if spiders had gotten bought by Xbox, and maybe, but still but I don't not. think I mean, so. Different. Pedigree. I think I think the narrative is Xbox. The narrative, as dumb as it is, is Xbox ruined Bethesda because look, Skyrim's a ninety-four, Oblivion's a ninety-three. You know, and then oh, here's Starfield, mm-hmm. and it's doing worse than Fallout seventy-six. As ridiculous as that is. And so I think that's the would kind of be the difference there is it's like, okay, we're not expecting Sega to change, right? If yeah, of course. The, the, if the first Yakuza developed under Herman Hulse's tutelage is awful, then I think that does change it a little bit. Sure. And even if it's something that the sad reality of it is, is that even if it's something that was mostly done by the time that Herman got involved in it, it would still fall down very negatively on them if it doesn't hit a certain mark of quality. And the crazy part is, is it can, even if it doesn't hit the quality of what they expected from the publisher you bought, right? Like the, the real reality is that Redfall didn't hit the quality of even a Bethesda game in most people's opinion. Right. Then that's just worsened by the fact that it was bought by Xbox. They had plenty of time to work on it and fix it. Definitely since it was actually announced by Xbox. So it wasn't even announced yet. Xbox could have killed it or chose to not announce it until they knew it was ready. There was a million ways and it's a rough thing to go through. Xbox could have been like, this is coming to PlayStation because we don't want it exclusive. (laughs) They could have have definitely lowered the risk. And they would have lowered the expectations too. Because you would have had that why is why are they letting this come to Xbox or the PlayStation? Why wouldn't this be exclusive? And then we play it and we're like, oh. And then we just move on with our lives, you know? And then you have a much easier way to go. Well, this was something in the works before us. So instead of disturbing it, we let it see itself through to completion, but moving forward, we'll have blah blah blah. Yeah. But, you know, I get it when you buy anything. Uh, there's that part of you that thinks, like we've always said, right, when you buy somebody like Activision, there's no way you'd want We used to say it about Bethesda. Mm-hmm. When you buy the Elder Scrolls, you're not going to want to take the Elder Scrolls from one of the biggest places you can sell games. But at the end of the day, there is that thing where it's like, well, you're buying to try and attract people to your platform. And the main way that you can do that is by saying, yeah, we take a hit. 
but we bring a lot more people in if we can say the Elder Scrolls Six is exclusive to Xbox and PC. Yeah, I think so. Starfield, for whether you like it or not, kind of solidified Elder Scrolls as exclusivity. Because I think yeah. there's an argument that if Starfield was, let's go with a 94 on Metacritic, mm-hmm. it would there would be an argument of, yeah, we'll let you continue to play Skyrim and Elder Scrolls games and Fallout games, but don't you want to try the new hotness that's over here? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to the next piece of news real quick. We got Insomniac is seemingly webbed up the title or has seemingly webbed up the title of Industry Powerhouse after the review embargo for Spider-Man 2 lifted. The game has, as of recording, swung in at a 91 from over 100 reviews on Metacritic. In the run-up to release, Insomniac released a statement letting gamers know that the best way to play Spider-Man 2 is with the day one patch. While the game is fully playable on the disc, many enhancements and even more accessibility options will be coming with the patch this is the best of both worlds as long as the disc version actually works right i know you're over there singing hannah montana <laughs> i know it. i was uh, <laughs> but this really is as long as the disc version is as they say and you know until otherwise we reasonably can believe them I, I think this is great day one patches are an expectation in the industry no one really bucks at them but as long as the disc version is still good i think you're doing you're using techno- the technology of Wi-Fi and the ability to work on a game after going gold and using the ability of game preservation from a disc, and you're kind of letting those two things work in tandem. Um, so this is great news. I don't have much more to say about that, but it's just it's really good to see. Yeah, happy for him. Yeah, also want to shout out, I have not been spoiled for, for Spider-Man 2 at all. Shouldn't and said it. Dude. I'm just going to avoid Twitter all day tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Not getting on at all. Um, I saw words that spoiled the game, but like I looked at it and I'm like, I don't know what this means. (laughs) 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 You know, imagine if I wrote, imagine if this is nothing close to it. Right. But imagine if I wrote black Corvette and just gave it to you. Like, this is spoiling the new, uh, you know, Scorsese movie. <laughs> okay. And then I just go watch the movie. And I'm like, oh, he drove away in a black Corvette. Okay. You know, so that was exactly yeah. how it worked for me. Yeah, it's like minus the context. It doesn't matter. But here's the yeah. funny thing, right? Because this is because I haven't been spoiled. I can't even tell you. I could accidentally spoil it right here. Not that I think it will. But the, the crazy thing about the way Spider-Man works being a age-old IP that sees variations of the same stories over and over again. It's so easy just to come up, like just to say something. Like it's it almost feels like how are, how do you even get spoiled on it? Because the end of the day, you're just seeing the performance as everything. Because you know you know who the villain is. Yeah. You know how that villain plays out. <clears throat> you know who else is in this, Harry Osborne, and you know how that dynamic plays out to some degree. Can they have a little fun with it? Of course. But at the end of the day, we know where the tragedy is going to be. Right. It's not, so a, it's, like a, it's, <laughs> it's not a spoiler for me to look at you and go, I hope this game has the same scene from Craven's Last Hunt. And in an Insomniac PlayStation game, he shoves a shotgun in his mouth. That would be <laughs> fucking incredible. That's not a spoiler for Spider-Man 2. If that does happen, that would be awesome. That's not Dude, that's a spoiler like, for it. That's like someone looking at me and going, uh, Harry Osborne's going to die. Welcome to fucking Spider-Man, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, that Gwen Stacy chick, guess what happens to her? <laughs> yeah. You ever hear of Darth Vader? Guess whose father he is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do, oh, however, I will say on the topic of spoilers, I do buy the argument that new people come into entertainment every day. So right. you shouldn't, like, I shouldn't go to a, like, a child and be like, yo, they get off the island in Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like You're I shouldn't do that, but at the same but time, he, it's like I was your age when it came out, dude. Yeah, kick rock, well, find that's a new fun. movie, go watch well, that, Five well, Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> that's also the fun, though, of how it goes. Because at the end of the day, I just said a bunch of shit that could turn out to be true. But the whole point of modern day deconstructionism is playing with expectations, and yeah. so you could just as easily say, "Well, you expected Harry to die, so we kept him alive." Then it's just as easy to say, "Well, we expected you to expect that we'd expect you to think Harry would die, so you thought we'd keep him alive, so we made it, we made sure we killed him." Well, the reality is that it's. <laughs> yeah. people are liking to do things with characters that you aren't supposed to expect. Um, and that's such a common trope these days that at the end of the day, it, it's not worth getting into. You're right. New people are coming into things. There will be people who play this and this is their first Spider-Man experience. And that's crazy to think about, but it's the truth. Just yeah. know, know your audience, right? If you're teaching a, a classroom of elementary school kids, maybe watch your mouth. But if I'm talking to another grown adult about what happens in Star Wars, like, like Doc, you had far too much time to be complaining about this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, man, let's keep going on. We have a question that came from a long-time listener, long-time friend of the show, Rude Cold. He says... How are you feeling about Spider-Man 2's less than 30-hour Platinum? Sounds great to me, and glad they didn't feel the need to go crazy and make the game even longer than the first one. And this is a great question, because it kind of ties into something that's been going around online, and this controversy that Spider-Man is a lesser game for the fact that it chooses to have a, quote, short campaign for its main mission, and an overall short completion time. Some people are viewing it as a positive, some people are viewing it as a negative. Chris, I mean, we've talked about... Um, me and you, me and Saul, hell, everyone, we've talked about, you know, time doesn't equal value, but values, uh, time is a really easy way to make value seem more than it may actually be. And we see that often in games. <clears throat> so with this being a much shorter game than we've seen a lot of this year, do you think that this is, for your personal sensibilities, is this kind of in line, like, with cool, you expect this and see this? And then secondarily, how do you think this is going to play against what the market's doing right now? Do you think this is a good game for this time, considering how many big games have recently hit, like Baldur's Gate and Starfield? Well, I think, <laughs> I guess it's a it's a matter of expectations, but I don't see how this isn't the perfect scenario for everybody, right? Like, what's, what, what's the alternative you know, people are upset about the Mary Jane sections and stuff like that, which I think are a totally valid part of the game because it's telling a story. There are other perspectives shown sometimes. And, mm-hmm. um, but like what the, the alternative, people are already upset with that stuff. So then the alternative is what? You're going to pad it out with a hundred, a hundred hours? Like, what is that? What does a hundred hour Spider Man game do for you? Because at that point, you're just doing more busy work. It's like, oh, the platinum takes 100 hours. You have to collect 50,000 pizza slices. You know? (laughs) What's what's the... So that's why I don't understand the argument. It's like, if you want to make the argument that um, you're tight on money, you have a certain amount of money, you budget towards video games every year, and for $70, 
you can't justify the purchase of Spider-Man. That's a valid argument, but I don't th- I don't think the argument of well Spider-Man's a lesser game because it's 30 hours makes any logical sense. I would argue Spider-Man as a 100-hour game would be a lesser game than Spider-Man at 20 to 30. Right? That's perfect. Yeah. And even looking at the state of the industry like you were saying, I was talking about it in our Discord today. Baldur's Gate, if I want to platinum it, it's two more playthroughs, and it's probably going to take me almost 300 hours if I really want to do it. Because I pulled a Brett, didn't look at a trophy guide, and I've locked <laughs> myself out of so much shit that... I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, that I would have to do a Dark Urge playthrough and then another playthrough, right? So... This is it's the perfect time to have a game like this where it's like now I know okay tonight or tomorrow I can be act 2 of Baldur's Gate take a break play Spider-Man maybe play Assassin's Creed go back to Baldur's Gate you know if Spider-Man mm-hmm. 2 was 100 hours I would be so disappointed I'm with you you know it just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense Well within that kind of a sub question uh I don't know the so this is not a spoiler at all, but because people have have mentioned that they think that the main storyline, you know, the main campaign quest line, whatever you want to call it, is uh, is on the short side. Let's call it twelve hours. Maybe yeah. it's not that. Maybe it is that. Maybe it's ten hours. But regardless, let's let's call it twelve hours. Do you really think there's a problem with the main campaign being twelve hours? Because my viewpoint, as soon as I saw that, is like. And I, Chris, I think you and I maybe did, Saul and I definitely agreed on this point. But I think the the biggest problem the first game had um, was was it's not even like it's a huge problem. But if you're going to look at problems and go, what could they improve on in the second game? I think the biggest problem they had in the first game was that the pacing between things was occasionally off and i think it may have came down to what they had to do even from a development standpoint like well we can't immediately follow this up with this we need time who knows what the reasoning was it also could have just been purposeful design Uh, but i always felt like there were a few times where they wanted a sense of urgency and then completely worked against it by trying to make you go off and fuck around as spider-man for whatever reason and i know we've talked about that but for me looking at it, right, seeing this, my hope is that, okay, the first game had mild pacing issues. Yeah. And I think more recent examples, not to say that the, that these studios share anything at all, but I think some recent examples of pacing issues we've seen is like God of War Ragnarok, where the middling section was kind of a tad sluggish. And then suddenly at the end, you're getting hit with so much, and yet it still feels like it's dragging somehow. And I don't mean that. I, I still liked Ragnarok, but its pacing felt way off and well and all over the place and i know chris you don't have as much contact uh, context for that as i do um so it may also just be my own because i've had that conversation with saul who felt very similar about the way that ragnarok ended it's like it got really cool really fast but then it was also like i okay you suddenly ramped everything up but then it still didn't do enough it was very strange so Looking at what this game could have become, Ragnarok was like a 35 or 40 hour game. I don't, you know, something like, I don't want that here. So if I can platinum the whole game in less time than it takes the average person to beat Ragnarok, I'm considering that a win. (laughs) Because generally speaking, the short, I guess my general rule of thumb, a story should never be longer than what you're actually needing to tell. And a lot of times in games, they are because of the expectation of length. So you get what you talk about, where you ha- you paddle out with weird shit, where it's like, well, in, in between, just to make the story sing longer, we're going to come up with some weird side 
technically a side mission, but we're going to call it a main mission where you go do something and meet a character and walk through some bullshit just so we can call the game two hours longer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> this is a win-win across the board. I think it's perfect time in the industry for it. Uh, this would have been an ideal place for Immortals of Avium, Avium's new IP, and a less established studio. I think if there was going to be a game to come out and have a shorter runtime and be like a ah, breath of fresh air, palate cleanser, Insomniac is a developer that everyone's familiar with and knows, and Spider-Man's a huge IP with a lot of expectation. This is a great do, way to do that. Do you think some of the ire around the length of the game is because people know deep down that it's going to be five years until we see this third one that concludes the Part story. Of it. You know? Part of it. Yeah. 100%. Which I think is a good time to field a question in here real quick. Uh, so he gave us three questions, but because oh. we're doing a short episode, we're going to do one. We're only going to do one. We'll save the others, hopefully, uh, for another one. But he said, could AI reduce game development time turning a five years uh, to a three-year cycle? And with that in mind, what aspects are you willing to sacrifice to see games go back to a three-year cycle? Graphics, length, multiplayer, what? Um, I think clearly there's a lot of people that have built the expectation that AAA games suddenly are just going to take five years. And when a game, when a studio puts out a game, you're not going to see another game from that franchise for a long time. Insomniac have actually bust, uh, have busted this trend, considering that they did put out Miles as this kind of in-between game. Yeah. The curiosity would be if they do that again, and how do they approach that if they do it again? I have a feeling. We can talk about that in maybe three weeks. <laughs> yeah, maybe three weeks. Um, but to that, uh, I think that is an interesting question, because we were talking about AI a little bit last week, right? And, yeah. And talking about how you were using it for writing. Um, so removing ourselves from a lot of the very weird and heated discussions and uh, uninformed and overinformed and everything... What's your gut feeling on AI's actual practical use if we look at it and go, okay, we can work this in alongside what we, the work we actually do to potentially make things that have drawn out due to the scope and scale and expectation of games and bring that back down to a more manageable cycle? What do you, do you really see that as a viable solution if they kind of step away from AI stealing? Do you think there's a, a way for these to work in tandem to? help create well, you hit on the problem the reality is the answer to the question is yes but the answer to the question is also no <laughs> okay because here's the thing could could ai reduce game development time yes substantially will it absolutely not because the people who are in that industry who are against it won't let it come in like god of war will never have ai i shouldn't say never but it will probably not have large swaths of that game made by ai right that's not probably not going to happen but the other issue comes in when those people who feel that ai shouldn't be used in any capacity shout down the let's say one guy in his studio apartment building a game all by himself and he uses ai to help him out with some art and then mm -hmm he you know kills the game because the industry has shouted him down so i don't see really any future where ai becomes mainstream i don't see it so i know 
I really thought about this whenever I read this question. I've thought about this off and on today. Mm. And I've really tried gut-checking myself as to how I feel about AI and how I feel about some of the concerns I've heard voiced. And some of the people who I know are voicing concerns, but I've not been able to hear them all. Um, so gut-checking it myself, I feel like the way I'm looking at this is AI is a tool. It's another tool in a box that a, a creative person can utilize to make something. And that's the way, because I look at it and think like AI is just something that, AI is not over there coming up with art by itself. AI is looking for you, a creative person with a creative mind, to prompt it and say, make me a... Uh, Taller than average person with dark hair, long beard, a scar on his right eye, and going through and like, I think what it does is it speeds up the ability to quickly iterate upon concept art, right? That, that, that's an immediate thing that I can see where it's like, if you're trying to figure out how you want a character to look and how you want to play, when it, it, if you remove AI from it, what, what are you doing? You're looking, you're sitting down with a piece of paper, you're drawing, and you're thinking of a version of who this character is in your head, and you're using your <clears> own <throat> way that you describe this person to influence the way you're making this art. So let's say that you're an artist, and you have a large body of your own work that you've been doing for years, and you train an AI model on your style of art. And then you go into a prompt with that AI, and you go, hey, AI me, basically. Mm-hmm. Draw me what my version of an older character with a bald head and weird markings on his face with pale skin and a long white beard. Draw me what that is. He's missing a finger from a battle. Uh, you, know, you can give it as much or as little information as you want. So, yeah, there's someone who can go on an AI thing and say, hey, uh, I want to see a dragon in a trench coat. Yeah. Like, and you'll get that. But if yeah. you want to go way more in depth and go, hey, give me, uh, give me a dragon wearing a trench coat with a scar on its left eye and burn marks coming down its right arm, and then one wing has got holes in it, you can go really in, in depth and detail. And that's what creative people do. Creative people know how to visualize and conceptualize something and then turn it into art. I feel like that's one simple use of AI that I already see improving. And then what you can do is after you have an AI thing that helps you find the direction you're going in, if you want to fine tune that and go, okay, now I want to hand make what this is, but this gave me the inspiration I needed. How much can that really save on, on time? And I started thinking about it as someone who does like music and stuff. And I think when DAW, so it's like a music software that you can use digital audio workstation became easy for home use and then plugins started becoming becoming easy for use and you have all these different programs that you can run and you can run MIDI stuff and some of them will program things for you and you can randomize. Is that making it to where people can't create music? Because I think music's still doing some pretty cool, interesting shit and there are people that are using essentially you know, automated tools to help them come up with stuff and write stuff and fill in parts and even write lyrics and it doesn't mean at the end of the day someone's just using what the AI made and spitting it out and going, look what I made. There is someone doing that in all instances. But the successful versions of that are people who are going like, yeah, I had this kind of help me get an idea and then I built on around it but with my creative input. And that's you, what I think AI should be. So I have two things on AI. Mm -hmm. First off, I think what would be interesting is if someone built it so that the AI knows the sources it's taking 
inspiration from and mm-hmm. spits that out into a PDF. You know, because I just sent you some. I took your prompt of guy with the black hair and scar on his face. And one of them is just Dante from DMC. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's just the same dude. So I, I almost wonder if they were like, yeah, we used AI and here's credit to every artist. And it turns a, ter- it turns a video game's credits into like 8,000 hours of of names, but it's all credited. Well, like there's nothing that that's true. But that's also why I like the idea of, of our people who are already concept artists, just training an AI model on their style, right. because then everything they generate is their style. And you can't go, well, well, you're stealing this. Well, no, it's my style. And I chose to give it to a computer so that I could utilize that computer to give me something that's in the realm of how I usually create. So you're basically saying you would like it if AI went and was like, like J. Cole, the rapper, mm-hmm. went to an AI and was like, give me a J. Cole type beat. And then just made a made an entire album doing that. Why not? Yeah. I mean I'm here. If for J. It. Cole, who made and produced a lot of shit, trained an AI on how he goes about doing his stuff and how he makes his beat, and an AI can find patterns and ways to go about it, then he can use that. And then he can from there, he can tweak or edit or change as much as he wants to. But do you get J. Cole albums faster? Definitely. Probably. And then what makes a J. Cole album good? Because he's still going to have to write lyrics and perform over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, the or possibilities are endless. That's what I'd say. Because like, isn't there a Drake song that's not even really Drake? That's yeah. like completely AI? That I, I understand that. That's a step too far because everything's being done by the computer. Words are being generated. The voice is being generated. And it's not that it's not cool or interesting and it shouldn't be out there and exist. It's cool that someone can do that and it's fun to see. But Don't profit on it. Don't profit on it. And for actual artists, I think, again, a tool, not a replacement. Someone like Drake should be able to be like, yeah, I, I do have a style that I've used and I've continued to cultivate and change, but I can use my years of work to see how my work has changed and let a computer look at that and generate beats from certain times and periods that I can use so then get creative and work off of. It's a it's a starting point. It's a leaping off. Yeah, point. I think we just have to... You know, AI is very much something that should be looked at as in degrees, right? You know, let's say I put out a book and by myself, you know, and I use an AI generator because I can't afford a someone to, to design the cover. So I, I make the cover with AI. I think we get to a point where you kind of have to look at it and be like, that makes sense. But okay, the, the book I just did that with was a bestseller. Now I'm going to pay an artist to actually do it. You know, I think you can use AI to kind of supplement stuff. I don't think you should profit on it. You know, I do think even in the example I gave, it's significantly different for me to be like, okay, this is what my book is about. Generate me a cover. I don't, and then selling that for profit. You know, I think that's a little weird, but um, if it was just a matter of, Hey, I'm, I'm using this as reference work. You know, I think that's totally fine. And I think even what people in our discord do where it's like, what does Sora look like as a ghost rider? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I put a cool picture too. It was a sick picture. That's the thing. Like all the pictures I've sent you, I'm like, this is awesome. Here, here's a very hot take about AI. (laughs) I think a lot of the pushback with this stuff is my, maybe my hottest take of all time is I think in a lot of ways, AI is better than humans. Well, what it is is that AI suddenly brings a better form. Yeah. Better is a really interesting word. It brings a more perfect like form, 
of art to people's fingertips and people who are very good at it feel invalidated because they worked years and years and years to get to that level. And I understand that. And they feel like this thing is doing what it took me years of training and practice to do. And then for other people who are not that good, they feel invalidated because they're like, well, I'm creative and I've been working hard and painting for hours and mine don't look that good. And it's, it's not being communicated because you don't want to say that, but that's the reality, right? You don't want something that was generated for you to look at and be like, well, technically it's probably better, but you know, then someone who really appreciates art for what it is and art is imperfections. That, yeah. That's what art well, is. And, and so someone true. who really appreciates art will look at a painting that has mistakes and be like, I find that mistake endearing. I like yeah. that. I like this texture that it's giving and AI would never put this texture there because AI is not going to make a mistake. You know? No, and I guess my point is more, you brought up the Drake song and mm-hmm. I, I can't stand Drake. That AI Drake song is the only Drake song I like. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I think, what I mean is there's some bit of fear of in 10 years, could you get a Martin Scorsese movie that competes with Martin Scorsese? Probably. Does it have the the heart and the soul of a Scorsese movie? No, it doesn't. And again, it's 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 all generalizations. We have no idea how it'll go, but I do think it'll get to a point where, at the very least, you could have an AI watch all of Tarantino's movies and spit out a totally "quote unquote" original Tarantino idea and not miss a beat. But again, that's and I think that's a fear, right? If you can get the technology to that point, then. You're just the, that whole industry is completely changed. That's the fear right That's now. That's true. You know? That's true. But I'll, I'll say my final word on it because this was what I finally came to in my own head is that it is a little unfortunate that the way people are worrying about AI right now is about its ways, and people are even looking at it in this way, about using it to replace humans on the creative side. If anything, AI and robots and all these things should be ideally. N- creating opportunity for humans to go out and be creative by taking Mm -hmm. away the menial tasks that we have to do that take us so much time. And if it's being used as a tool in the right way, it can do that. And then you create a generation of people who have more time and opportunity and willingness to experiment, do something creative, be artful, willing to open up and see things and do things they originally didn't have the time or the capacity to do. And that's my perfect form of AI is not having AI replace the creatives because, and I don't think it really can. Like I said, I think some of my favorite things, some of my favorite albums, I love them for things that are so hard. I don't even know how an AI could even approach it because it's like, dude, this album is impeccably written, but it also sounds like it was recorded in like a garage, but it also sounds good. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's because it's raw. And it's like, yeah, but that it works with the style of what it's doing. And like, I don't know that an AI can replicate that because it's all vulnerabilities and mistakes and errors that come from inherently being human. I think AI's... AI can feign that. It'll be yeah. like, oh, look, I made a mistake, but it made a calculated mistake. Whereas a human will try and try and try and have a mistake. And be like, I can't fucking do anything about it. I'm human. That's the mistake. Yeah. Deal with it. That's it's, the difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's small stuff. Like, there's, you know, an AI could make a great Dave Matthews song, but it'll never capture the moment in the end of one of his songs live. I don't remember the song, but there's a moment where someone in the audience just yells, thank you, Dave. 
and it's so fu- it sounds so fucking good. Like he just finishes going off, he's doing it live. He does the guitar solo, and it just ends with some dude in the crowd yelling, "Thank you, Dave." It's, it's awesome, and that would never happen. That kind of little I, instance. Some people really prefer studio recorded music, and I, mm. I, sometimes I am. But for bands who know how to well record live sets, some of my favorite shit is to listen to live versions of songs. Definitely older songs that were recorded a little differently. Yeah. Uh, Metallica have got the S&M album where they did um, Metallica and the San uh, Francisco Orchestra, and it is so fucking good. Not yeah. only because there's all this new range and excitement that comes from all the actual uh, symphony orchestra uh, interacting and how they change the songs to go with it but also artistic changes in the moment where they go you know what mm-hmm. fuck it i know i'm playing this i'm gonna do something different i'm gonna throw in a different word here i'm gonna throw in a different inflection on this word i'm gonna change the solo we're gonna change the 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 entire tempo right here that shit is so cool and some of my favorite versions of nine inch nail songs are where trent Reznor's is fucking going off live and then he just does something you're like that was so it, it's so inspired because you could tell it was just in the moment. Yeah. It was off the cuff. And AI can't do that. That's not what yeah. AI is. One of you my know, favorite. I don't know what a spirit is, but the closest I can say is the shit that makes someone just randomly and inspirationally do something off the cuff. That's the closest yeah. thing I can say to a spirit. You know? One of the best live Dave Matthews songs is a freestyle. <laughs> There you have it. I don't want to spend too much more longer on this, so we're going to go ahead and move off. But great question. AI is a very interesting topic, uh, but I think the only way we're going to make any real progress on it as industry and as groups and everybody is to be moderately vulnerable with ourselves, talk about what the fears are, and then work on ways to make sure that this is a tool and not a replacement. That's my my spiel. Uh, Moving on, though, game streaming is coming to PS5 on October 17th in Japan, the 23rd in Europe, and October 30th in the US of A. The Excuse me, the streaming can go up to 4K60, and you will also be able to utilize any DLC for said titles. It launches with titles like Sucker Punch's Ghost of Tsushima or the middle chapter in Spider-Man Saga and Miles Morales. So there we have it. Just to note, this is also coming as part of PS Plus Premium, which already includes streaming. It's just now it'll be PS5, not just PS4. I am very curious to see if this means... (sighs) that the PlayStation Portal will see some version of this, but I'm not banking one way or the other. It's just going to be curious to see if they choose to pivot in that direction as an option. The uh, the redesigned PlayStation Portal will have streaming on it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the PS Portal Pro. <laughs> yeah, it's an attachment. <laughs> uh, next P-P-P. thing up, apparently, <laughs> the PPP. Uh, the PPP. Apparently, Chris thinks I wanted the phasmophobia delay in the news so badly. Uh, It's no longer launching in October, (laughs) and a new date has yet to be announced. It seems that multiple factors went into the delay, including a fire, moving offices, and getting the game on PSVR 2 as it is currently on VR for Steam and PCs. So a lot of factors are coming together, but the uh, developers are saying that the the wait will be worth it. Um, With that, though, I think... There's your news, but I think the thing to talk about is this question that comes from ShafeDog247, uh, and I'd be curious to see what some of the other VR-focused people in our group, like um, Black uh, Blackheart and Stingray, and a couple other people I know who are very geared towards that, 
He says, does Sony need to offer port or dev assistance to PSVR 2 devs? The recent trend of anticipated yet low-quality VR titles is ridiculous. Project Wingman, Hellsweeper, Tennis on Court, all launched in terrible states. Graphically, gameplay, and other tech issues. Not a good look. Um, while I haven't played all those games, and I am more of, I think, the middling area of VR enthusiasts. Like, or I wouldn't say I'm an enthusiast. I, I like VR and I play it. Um, but I'm not at this level. I'm not playing every game as soon as it comes out. And there are lots of games. I often hear people say that VR didn't have, PSVR 2 hasn't been getting games. I'm like, what fucking bridge have you been living under? Because there's a new game hitting constantly. <laughs> yeah. It's just maybe it's not a AAA game. That that doesn't mean there's no games. Um, but with that in mind, Chris, you have a VR 2. I have a VR 2. We're sort of outside looking in because of some of these games. I did talk with Ryan when we were playing Gran Turismo lately. He was talking about Project Wingman and how it's a bit simplistic and all these different things coming around to it. Um, I assume Sony has this, but I assume it's not being prioritized. And Sony has only so much bandwidth. And what's happening is most of their bandwidth for supporting devs is being spent on the non-VR side. So to answer the question, if that is the structure within Sony, I do think that if you're going to have a piece of tech like PSVR 2, it would behoove you to create a support system that is strictly focused around that and that can then be you know, utilized. The reality is, is that if enough games are coming to the system, even an internal thing that's aimed only at PSVR 2 can still get stretched too far for bandwidth purposes to be able to help every dev, but it's a step in the right direction and hopefully it can help. Um, you're right. Games launching like that in terrible state is not a good look. I wish I had a better sense on how widespread this really is. And I wish I had got to hear from some of the developers to say why the problems are there. And if they really do feel like it's a lack of support from Sony or if it's that in addition to some other things, I don't want to talk too much on it, but it's an interesting question and it will be a big thing that's going to stop or help it, depending on how it goes, Sony pushed PSVR 2 and VR in general more into a larger market. Uh, Chris, do you have anything you want to add to that? Not really. I don't have much to say. I do want to... I don't even know if I even want to say it because it's going to start a fight with diehard VR people, but I think the VR has no games thing. It's just... I don't think VR has games a lot of people want to play. That's the no, problem. I think that's right. You There's know, still I think because you remember when people went after Ryan McCaffrey and when he tweeted something about the PSVR collecting dust and mm-hmm. games weren't coming out to it, and then mm-hmm. I remember that whole day people are sending him lists of games, and none of the games are bad. I don't. I mean, I guess some of the games are bad. As safe There's probably telling bad us. games in them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think the bigger problem is like. I don't know how to explain to you that unless you're super into the scene, tennis on court, like that's not, I don't want to play that. <laughs> that's not, I didn't buy my PSVR to play that game, you know? So I think that's kind of the problem here, right? Is it's not so much that VR doesn't have a single game coming out, but I genuinely don't think there's a single game that makes me go, I got to pre-order. I got to get ready. Let me clear my schedule. Like there's none of that. And I do think you need to have those when you're selling a sit, what $500 peripheral. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what people are saying, you know, and this is something that Sony's not <laughs> looking hard at. And it makes me as someone who 
was super into the PSVR for a couple of days. I am. I, I'm sure there's. It's mine's dusty. I'm in the same situation as Ryan because the reality is, you know, I don't want. I don't. I don't even know how to ameliorate the problem because I don't want to be in VR for 20, 30 hours mm-hmm. playing one game. But I don't want to play tennis on court, and that's the game that I'm hyped on. Not, tennis on court could be great. But, you know, even Pistol Whip, as much as I love Pistol Whip, that was a good three days. It was worth the 20 bucks, but it wasn't worth the 500 So people are trying to justify the purchase. And I think that's a thing where it's really hard to justify the purchase. And if you have one, I'm not surprised if you feel a little burned, personally. No, I could see that. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the same problem that the main industry has, which is that a lot of the industry is fueled by the biggest AAA games. And a lot mm-hmm. of people who play games are playing at a very casual level. And then there's a lot of people, too, who are playing the niche games and supporting those that are big enough thing that they're successful. Any market ideally needs both. And then it needs a few really good players in the middling space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think PSVR 2 is... Uh, P- VR in general is at a point where there is a... There are very good AAA games, but they are few and far between. And then there is a lot of really cool and interesting, creative startup games and interesting games. And then there's a very small pocket of middling games, but they're not happening in enough frequency for the market to be balanced enough for people to look at it and go, okay, yeah, I feel like my needs will be met consistently enough to make this a valuable purchase. And so it becomes a purchase where someone who has enough disposable income mixed with enough interest in the tech inherently can enjoy it and be like, wow, this is really great. And every time I put my PSVR 2 on, I'm like, damn, this is so cool. This is so good. It's well done. Uh, But I'll tell you, I mean, even then, VR will always have certain things. I come home from a stressful day at work. The first thing I want to do is not strap into VR. There's been a few times where I really fought with myself. Like, I want to play Gran Turismo 7 right now, and I want to play it in VR because I don't see the reason not to play it in VR at this point. But I'm like, I have been staring at a screen all day. I have a headache from dealing with other people's bullshit. I kind of just want to watch Mythbusters for a bit and then maybe play some Liza P and be done. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, that is somehow sometimes how it happens Uh, but there's a better way to balance this and hopefully they get there that's what i think is interesting about the vr games that i've experienced is it's almost like vr is meant to be pick up and play but it's impossible to pick up and play vr like you have to plan your day around playing vr realistically you got to move your your coffee table you know make sure the dogs are put away Dude, the kid will not walk it. in front of you like <laughs> vr is so cumbersome my wife knows i'm gonna play because yeah. i have to move the coffee table and the only room i have to push it anywhere is directly against the couch and she's like yeah. i can't sit <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, sorry yeah right <laughs> can figure it out <laughs> i got a race i need this platinum um i don't know so do you understand what i'm saying where like Marvel Snap, one of the be- things I love the most about it is I can go. On. Yeah, I, I turn it on. The lo- the I, I spend more time in the loading screen than the game takes to play. Like that's a pick up and play game. And if I look at Pistol Whip, it's like, am I going to play Pistol Whip for four hours today? No, then I'm not unrolling this this thing and sticking it to the P. You know, I'm just not doing all of that. So it's yeah. in a very weird spot. And mine's not really that complicated, so even then, right? Mine's actually pretty well set up. It's constantly plugged in. All I have to do is 
take it off its dock, move it two feet over, put it on my head, turn it on. But I think the other side of that is um, depends on who you are, right? How physical your job is. The reality is, is most VR games, definitely the ones that are the most enticing, are very physical. Excuse me, very physical. And if you've had a physically demanding game a day or even a mentally demanding day and you just want to get away from that, the first thing is not always that you want to go into this thing that requires a lot of physicality. The reason cell phone games are so popular is because you can kind of just deject yourself and go off into like a mental space where you're just <laughs> sitting there flicking a, a thumb and the ease of access to that is so simple that anyone can fall into it. And VR will never be that easy. It's not meant to be. And I'm glad that it's not. It's a different thing. But it does mean that you have to the burden of making people want to play that tech is so much harder because of that so yeah. it just becomes like a well you're going to have to have fire games or really intriguing games more often than not for people to want to bear that burden not that it's a bad one um but we got one more piece of news and then we'll get one more question. We're going to call this quits. So let's try and make it quick, Chris. We got Pete Hines has announced his retirement from Bethesda after 24 years with the company. Uh, it seems that the acquisition from Microsoft was too much for him to handle. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a pretty long tenure with the company. He seems to have done a lot. It will be interesting to see him not be involved with Bethesda stuff moving forward. Best wishes to him. Yeah, good for you, pal. <laughs> I wish I could retire right now. <laughs> Don't we all? One day. No, you know, Chris, we'll be fucking 72. Like, I can retire in three years. Oh, man. I If I can't retire at 65, just hang me. Take me out back. I don't want to. I don't want to work for another, you know, fifty years. Well, you don't want to work. You don't want to have to work with it being the only way. Like I have to work to survive. Like, like no. you know, because the thing is, is that when you retire, most people they find shit to do. They stay busy. Most retired people are more busy than people who are working, in my opinion. But there's a freedom in being like, yeah, but I chose to do every bit of what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, for me, that wouldn't work because. If I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go push carts at Shop and Shop for 15 hours a week, I would get to that one day. I guess I don't know if you have bad days when you're 80. Like, does that, I don't know if that exists because you're, you can't really, you can't really be in a bad mood when death is following you that closely. But <laughs> go ahead, Chris, let's hear the rest of this. But I'm I would, batting a thousand over here. I would go to stop and shop to push carts, and someone would like leave the the handle sticky, and I'd be like, "I don't need this fucking job," and I would just leave. <laughs> Dude, it's like the uh, it, it's like the, there's a we just watched that's why I think it's so funny. There's an episode of The Office where Kelly they're, they're all talking about if they won the lottery, and Kelly's like, "Well, if I won the lottery, I'd still come to work." She's like, "You know, but I'd come in whenever I want, leave whenever I want. My salary would be like a dollar a year." And she's like, "If they had anything to say, I'd say you pay me a dollar." <laughs> like, come on, I, seriously? I would honestly take less money at a job like that if I could just be like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be here today." Like, yeah, I'm going to work the little rush at McDonald's and then I'm going to go home because I'm bored. Like, that would be super cool. You pay me a dollar an hour. That's fine. But I Dude, would just, I would honestly, I would, I would probably take so small money to do shit I know I'd want to do. Like, yeah. Dude, hey, uh, like $5, I'll go walk your dog around the park for an hour. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, exactly. I haven't mowed <laughs> like a dogs. lawn in a while. I'll go do yours. <laughs> yeah. I, I need, sun sounds cool. I could pop some headphones in, listen to a podcast. Yeah, make a little bit of yeah. money. 
Oh, you've never played Fallout 3? How about you pay me 200 bucks? I'll get you that platinum. I got nothing else going on. <laughs> there you go, Chris. All right, we're going to go to our last question. We've already broken an hour, and you know, looking at the first part, we're going to be at around an hour 15 right now. So um, here we are, Chris, the final section of the show. We've got one question we've not answered, and I think we can get there pretty well. And I think we brushed against a little bit earlier with the Spider-Man conversation, but not in depth. So Jehudi MD, longtime listener, longtime patron, what type of game do you prefer? A game focused on a great main quest or a game focused on smaller but branching and varied side content? Um, I'm going to have to say a game focused on a great main quest be- because I think a good story will hook me into a game more than good gameplay, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like Cyberpunk has a great story, but I've seen it already. So the great gameplay doesn't have me wanting to go back. You know, so I think one of the things for me is we've this has been a topic on the show forever. Is I just I'll start something for five minutes and then I'll never play it again. Yeah, you know, and I think I get more invested a lot quicker if the story's good. Like with Honkai Star Rail, I was like, I like this. I like that my one of my characters plays the electric guitar to call down a lightning bolt that hits everybody. That is fucking yeah. sick. But, yeah. you know, and that's what got me into that game. And not to mention, it's basically, you know, persona, a battle system. So it, it yeah. really hits all these gears, but <clears throat> yeah, I would go with, I would go with great main quest personally, man. It, it is a genuinely hard question because I mean, the, the real clear answer when you're not, de- when you're not doing an either or locked in one is that, um, the best of both worlds is always good, and I think that's why games like uh, and Chris, I know that you view a little differently, but generally speaking, games like Arkham City are so beloved is because they have what people view as a great main story, and then you can look at that and point at that and only play that and go, "Wow, that game was amazing!" And then you yeah. have people that go, "Dude, all the side content and all the side mini arcs and stories, characters, the Hush arc, the Victor's Az arc, and you keep going through all those." And you look and you go, oh, yeah, this is kind of wild. Like, you know, this game is so good, even if you, it's like Skyrim all over again, right? Even if you never touch the main quest, you have a bunch of smaller quests where you feel like something happens and you're like, damn, that was really fun. And you can go and do that as much as you want. So the the ideal game strikes a balance in the middle. And it's why I thought the first Spider-Man was so great in so many ways, but I feel like it failed its open world. And I don't know if that was because of Insomniac's not being familiar with it. Or what? But I felt like you had the one side quest in that story that was so short where you go and find Tombstone. Mm. And that was it. And I was like, this is like when you have other games like even Infamous 2 or Arkham City and then Arkham Knight all preceding this. And you're like, how did you miss that mark? And, you know, you can give them credit. It's still a fantastic game. But one of my big hopes in like Spider-Man 2, for example, is they do the greatness of the main story that we already see that they can do. They do the greatness of fun traversal in an open world. And then they couple all that together with great, small, varied side content. And like even things like non-story related things in Batman are more fun than non-story related things in Spider-Man, in my opinion, like the, the um, Riddler trophies are super fun because they're puzzles. 
and you just kind of stumble across them. And you're like, what the fuck do I do to get this? And Spider-Man doesn't really have that. So ideally, you get both. But I'm with Chris. I think if I had to choose one and it comes down to one, I'm more often than not going to side towards a great story, great main quest. Yeah. I do think the weird thing about this question is I think... I think if one game has one, it usually has the other. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Like, if you're saying if one game has one, because I, I think a pretty clear example, like I said, is Spider-Man has a great main quest. I don't think it has very good side content. And so, the, it, bam, it's immediately missing half of it. But there are well, plenty of games that do have both. Skyrim, when I'm looking at The this, Witcher I, 3, Fallout. I guess the way I'm answering this question, you know, when I think of, I don't think of Spider-Man as a quest. You know, mm-hmm. so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking of an RPG. So I'm thinking Skyrim. I'm thinking The Witcher Three. I'm thinking sure. Outer Worlds, and I think all those games have both. So yeah, that's where you're I right. On, you're right in the RPG sphere. Yeah. yeah, a good RPG has to have both, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But bl- moving it more towards the broad sense of just a video game story versus, uh, you know, if it's focusing more on being because like Immortals of Avium, I think is a good example of had a really good main story and it had pretty solid side content like it's not great but it's pretty solid so like i'd even outside most games you want some balance of both but yeah if you're going to focus on one focus on story for me because i Mm. a good story can get me past plenty of things i don't like about a game in all honesty absolutely yeah don't make me go though conversely good gameplay if it's good enough can get you past things that aren't good in the story yeah prototype exists i love that game prototype not a great story Not even a little bit. That's very fun. (laughs) Yeah. All right, man. That is the end of this episode. Chris, thanks for joining me. We got to get some sleep. We got work. I got, I got to be up in um, exactly six hours and five minutes. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be really fun. An hour and a half tomorrow to go get my car registered. So that'll be fun. Fun times. All right, Chris. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you all for working with us on this shorter episode. We'll be back next week with Chris having a fixed mic (laughs) and uh, hopefully a full episode where we can talk a little bit more in depth. We'll get back with the uh, Velvet's Corner. If you missed it, don't worry. That theme song will still be there to edge Chris next week. Chris, what do you want the community's take to be? Spider-Man impressions for people who started this weekend? Yeah, give me your spoiler-free... Spider-Man, Spider-Man impressions, impressions, but only in emojis. So we have to guess what you're saying. Mm, there we go. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll get that up. If you want to be part of the community's take and you're new to the show, always you can head over to patreon.com. Uh, not Patreon. So you can head over to twitter.com or at least formerly what was called Twitter. Go at triangle SQRD. You can find us in a Facebook group called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, or you can click down in the description below whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services and find our Discord where you can join us in our day to day, moment to moment conversations as alongside many of our listeners and patrons and if you want to join the patrons and supporting the show with as little as a dollar per month which we are always so grateful for you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month uh, as a shout out for the people who do support the show and allow things like us getting Chris a new mic <laughs> without having to dig in our own pockets thank you listeners you will be directly responsible for that we give everyone a shout out while we have a reasonable enough list to do so so without further ado we'd shout out Spencer 
Brandon Edwards, Savoy Prime, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Sin to Win, Easton328, Awesome Dave1337, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Otis Garcia, Hammondagger, Bailey Robertson, Rob Warpoint, Josh Drago, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Jason Clendenning, Kyle Grimm, Richard Schaefer, Rude Days93, Joshua Lago, Trap Gunner, Tyler B., Zachary Sawyer, Ali Valiant, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Bloody Red, Yehudi MD, Dylan Kirby, Funk Turkey, Tyler Powers, No Fate, Brandon Edwards, Josh Ayers, Thomas McKinnis, Derek Porter, Don Williams, Morgan, Corey Hickerson, Justin Rowe, Matt Sycamore, Philip, Constantly Kenny, and Matthew Green. Thanks to each and every one. See you next week. <laughs>